0: Welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill.
1: Welcome back to the show. This is episode two hundred and thirty eight. I'm Scott Jones, and I'm Bill Bohr. and it's Monday.
0: I'm a positive Bill billboard today.
1: You're allegedly. Well, uh, see, we, uh, had the, we had we had kind of a bet, and like, I don't really know that our bet came to anything. No, there was if you were right about something.
0: I don't remember. I think I was right though. I don't remember if I was right or not. But we were talking during the whole, uh, I guess, hearing on or the committee meeting on Friday. I said that I think, you know, it would. There could be a positive thing if they paused, something like that. I can't remember. But yeah, yeah. And uh, and I said if if they do work out a compromise, that I would be positive in our next episode. But I would for be, the whole for the whole episode. For, I wouldn't be critical of anything. And it turned out that they were able to pull it together. So I don't know if it was so much of a bet as a vow. I think it was more of a vow to the universe, a vow of positivity. And I mean, so a vow of to the cosmos or,
1: or positivity. If we or, could
0: have something positive happen in the U.S. Senate, then I would be positive in our next podcast. But then you came up with this article to talk about. I don't know how I will be able to sustain that, but I will try. It. <clears throat> but we yeah, had some. I I want to say I think that
1: I am slightly cynical about the compromise, just because I think it's not going to serve to. I mean, I, I don't think much is going to move either party off of the Supreme Court nomination either way. Like, so I don't. I mean, unless something really big comes out well, with I, Kavanaugh that maybe, mm. like, for instance, he also likes Chardonnay, <laughs> uh, <laughs> or or that he he's not a domestic drinker, that uh, he's, he's a Heineken drinker. I like beer. <laughs> You tell me, are you? you You swear to God, you're not a Heineken man. I'm not a Heineken man.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. I no. Well, I don't. I think first of all, I think that people vote on on ideal ideological lines around the Supreme Court. But what That's if like, it came
1: out in the FBI hearing that he didn't vote for Trump?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're not supposed to know that. You're not supposed to know that. No, I think what I thought was positive about it. Was that it was a restoration of process and that you had, you know, you and I have bemoaned the lack of statesmen, particularly it's my thing. I always go, there's no statesmen left in the Senate, but there are a handful. Uh, And Jeff Flake and Coons from Delaware are two of those people who seem to be genuinely good people who actually care about each other and also care about what the institution of the Senate was supposed to do, both constitutionally and and the balance it's supposed to bring. So I think the compromise serves that. A half step back from uh, the Senate just becoming the advanced form of the child childishness of the House of Representatives,
1: Jeff Flake and Coons, one has presidential hair, one doesn't
0: yeah well, one doesn't have hair one doesn't have any hair, but he actually he's i mean he's a statesman, I think they're both statesmen, it says a lot that uh that one of the most statesman like Republican senators could not get reelected. <laughs> <laughs> if he ran, I mean, he basically decided not to run because he thought he was going to get primary. Yeah, he would he would have lost that primary. Yeah, in all likelihood. But yeah, I think
1: where I am like s- slightly cynical is that it, the the process move has not turned the temperature down, and if anything, it's turned it up. Like it, you have Republicans thinking this is a delay tactic on the, on the on the on the a lot of
0: Republicans. I
1: mean, there have not been many in the in the kind of fox news sphere uh wow. you know the pe- people that shape I, I i think major republican opinion makers like if you if you look on the sunday shows for instance overwhelmingly there, there's this is just a you know that that flake was sort of you know taken taken here and democrat and you know it, Democrats have already said once they said a week a week's not enough it has to be well, open sure, ended sure but it's got but
0: Coon so. said he thought it was enough
1: yeah, yeah I mean that but I if if it doesn't if it turns up nothing is Coon's going to
0: vote well it's Trump's judge he we should confirm it. well no no yeah no. Uh, but there were there were Democrats who voted for um, yeah. Gorsuch yeah, yeah there were yeah, uh, didn't uh, I think Coon's voted didn't for. didn't uh, uh, West Senator- Virginia
1: well, no, he doesn't. Count. Joe, Joe, uh, Manchin. Joe, Manchin. Joe, Manchin. Yep. Joe's a guaranteed vote
0: if you don't need him.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, he, if he's not a tiebreaker, you can count on
0: Joe. You know, one Republican
1: re- count on Joe if you don't need him. You
0: know, one Republican who has been surprisingly not that critical of the process of, of the delay. Trump, so, Trump. Yeah, yeah.
1: Wow, because he gets you know we're not talking about Russia. I, so he's, that's, we're not talking about Russia. We're not talking about uh, yeah. We're not talking about. Hush payments. We're not, you know, we're talking about somebody else's
0: issues. Yeah. <laughs> he, he said, that's just, we should just continue this. We could just c- should continue this into 220. Uh, exactly. To, yeah, 220.
1: Another week for Brett. He's a, a fantastic candidate. But now, yeah, I mean, I think, so I think what's going to, again, it's just the, it is nice to see the two guys across the aisle right. like each other, but I think that. Well,
0: more than like each other. And and have, they work together.
1: They work together. Yeah, and they. But it's just I think the you know the, the it, it again. I don't think we've moved like we haven't sort of dried the oh, not no, dried the powder what is it keep your powder
0: dry yeah or the
1: powder's it. drier we're not wetting i don't do you wet the powder though the no powder? not if you
0: want your gun to fire you know right. i mean that's whatever <laughs> that's why you keep it dry
1: <laughs> forget this motive, metaphor <laughs> but i mean tensions are i think like the temperatures are rising not cooling and i think that
0: the, don't the, shoot till you see the whites of their eyes
1: exactly uh, so i think that that's just going to again, like you, in a week, if nothing new gets dug up, everybody's going to bemoan that the process isn't long enough and that's going to make Republicans angry again. And this, I mean, this is just, I'm just kind of being a, a pragmatist and realist. I don't think that this is, you know, going to matter. I, I don't think this sort of week of deliberative space where we give the FBI some room is not, is going to make a a difference in... The outcome again, unless there's a revelation, like unless there's something that well, the
0: fact is comes out. If you lied, if you lied during your testimony about your background, that might happen. That I'll might happen.
1: tell you, he lied about what a devil's triangle. He lied <laughs> about said, almost said, all said, those yeah. things. But I did hear. Do you know that somebody, like people, were changing the Wikipedia pages? Or like Congress members or something, like have changing the Wikipedia page
0: definitions during the hearing? Oh, they actually, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, we used to play, play, uh, my sons used to play Georgetown prep uh, down there. Uh, So, yes, lovely, lovely, lovely prep school boys who study, they just study and work out. And I also think... (laughs) And drink beer. I I like beer. But a few beers. Do you like beer? Because, and the drinking, he, he even got the drinking age when the law changed was wrong. Yeah, yeah. So anyway. no, I also think you it know it was never legal for him to drink. The fact, the
1: there. fact that, and again, it, it, Republicans increasingly become kind of the party of white male ish. I mean, male kind of like identity, right? And so
0: our traditional male identity, traditional male identity, because a lot right. of the, the women, for instance, the a lot of the evangelical women, kind of have bought into that, right?
1: So I think like if then what happens very is a
0: complementarian kind of way.
1: You kind of have to. They sort of. I think tend to minimize not not just the past sort of silencing of women on these things, but also how that impacts the present. Right. Well, look
0: at the way Kavanaugh talked to the Senate the 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 uh, or who were the um the senator the woman senator from you know who I'm talking the that the Amy Coma or
1: Comishar Coma, yeah, I from mean Minnesota, that was
0: that was oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. that was just I mean yeah, yeah. But,
1: but I think so I tend to think like. Because there's this lack of willingness to acknowledge inequality, how that's played out, even and how it continues to play out, then you you kind of have to double down and sort of like whether even if the facts are ambiguous, you can you kind of have to double down, right? Because you have to go over against the sort of
0: people that are denying the experience of right.
1: of women and things like that. So I just, I feel like there's kind of a I,
0: I mean you know I think sometimes. um in the in the, in the course of rhetoric about white male privilege, sometimes that could be overplayed. But everything about this hearing <laughs> was one was a poster child for white male privilege. Yeah, yeah, it was a and uh, including the fact. By the way, if we the next time we talk about women's issues, if we need to hire a woman to come in here, I know a prosecutor from Arizona who's being under underutilized.
1: <laughs> I do have a name, despite that. I will I will be called. <laughs> that was a that.
0: Prosecutor. I mean. Oh, gosh. The fact that we're not all just – well, Saturday Night, Live, Saturday Night Live nailed it on an, on so many levels about this.
1: But see, this is the thing. I sound like a real cynic. Thing. This is where I don't see these things getting better soon because as demographics change and we get to base elections – you know, yeah. it's, it's – it's okay, you look at the – we can move on to the article in a minute, but I'll just offer my, my prognostications or whatever. We, when you look at the autopsy they did after the Romney election, like why did we lose, right – and because he
0: didn't know how to sit on a bar
1: stool. <laughs> well,
0: things, but you know, and, and you
1: know, he had to practice that. <laughs> and he looks like the, ass, the He looks like the jerk that fired your dad. I mean, that's just like that's He, he, he just does. But he's a nice guy, Romney. Like I uh, yeah. hear personally, but he just has that vibe. Like he doesn't
0: probably the next uh, senator, junior senator, senator from, from Utah, Utah.
1: Yeah. Uh, presidential hair again. But he, he, you know, the, uh, the, this idea that demographics are destiny, and we got to broaden, embrace things like immigration, and just move towards a more diversified electorate, at least aiming to sort of reach out to a diversified electorate. Well, you Trump comes along. No, nah, I can't, I, I don't need that to win. I'll kind of double down. Right. And on immigrant, I'm building a wall. like, <laughs> Right. And, yeah. and so I think as you, so then it turns even more people off to the Republican cause. So then you got to lean more on your base. So yeah. Then you got to kind of double down on the sort of white identity stuff to, to you know in the face of other identity issues and so i i just think like that the combination of that does not bode well for sort of moving us to no. a place
0: where no but it's like steve Carnacki's just read a book um um i think comes out tomorrow he was talking today that what you have in some levels is the republican party is taking the platform of um i just lost his name he worked for nixon pat buchanan it's taking the platform of pat buchanan you know, from the 80s and that the Democratic Party has kind of reverted back to the ideology, the liberalists of the 80s. So his whole point is that, you know, you could argue that the Bush, the Bushes, now, again, George W. may be different, but Clinton tried to move, Clinton Gore tried to move the Democratic Party to the middle. Uh, George Sr. certainly was a move towards the middle from Ronald Reagan. Um, George W. Bush, I think, could have been a more moderate president if it hadn't been for 9-11 and the people he listened to after that. So, but you definitely have reverted back to a kind of you know this is this is an extension of what really began in the eighties and maybe before that. So it it will be interesting to see. I don't know. It'll be interesting. I agree. I, there might be a great unifier out there, but uh, she or he is is has not manifested themselves yet. And I don't think. Uh... Avenatti would be a unifier. Avenatti's not a <laughs> I don't think if if no. uh, Avenatti
1: makes the run, I don't think he'll. Um, be, I don't think he'd be a unifying figure.
0: Uh, I just don't, and I don't. I don't know that, uh, I mean, Jeff Flake's still a very conservative person. I don't. He's still, I, and he might be a, a, a man without a base right now. <laughs> without, yeah, without a
1: base, without a middle, without, without, <laughs> without, without enough, uh, without enough votes to but get nice reelected, high, but a nice, <laughs> a nice high hat symbol, a
0: nice high hat symbol.
1: Yeah, I he Jeff Flake does tonight, but he's a good looking guy with great hair. So I mean, that's and he's a good soul. I think he's a yeah. he's an earnest guy. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine or while you're exercising or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the Thank You Roll Call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlan, Barry Stewart. Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Kress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpennig, Simone Garabedian, Jim Kirk. Samantha Konauer, and Jordan Demays. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show.
0: Speaking of earnest, people, that was a bad transaction. Speaking of earnest. You sent me an article that we decided that we would talk about. I did. I even printed it.
1: Oh. Which I almost never do. You actually never do. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, rarely. I mean, I I don't do it very often. I kind of want to. You list.
0: you keep you are digital. Usually, you're keeping trees alive. I do.
1: Although I do read a lot of books in hard form in paper format, just because I I find it easier to annotate, especially if no you have no, to I talk to the I, person. Yeah. It's just a, I don't mind reading on an iPad at all, but I don't. There's something about especially if I have to retain it quickly, and, and I find sticking notes yeah, are really, a nice I agree. thing. I agree. Yeah. So this is called Towards a Philosophy of the Cross by Paul K Moser and Benjamin. Nas Nasmith. Nasmith. Nasmith, Nasmith. I don't know if the A is long or not. Nasmith. We'll make it long. We'll give him all the A's where <laughs> We'll just make him. We'll stretch it out. Nasmith. And I saw it on Twitter. Somebody tweeted about it, and it, it basically they the it appeared in the Expository Times, which is a journal. I think it's in the UK somewhere, and basically they argue that. The, you know, the theologians, Bible scholars, philosophers of religion, many other academic types often talk about something called Christian philosophy. And it's typically ambiguous exactly what a philosophy like that consists in right. or what makes such a philosophy distinctive. And they are trying to provide some clarity by looking at what they think would be at the center of Christ crucified, a Christian philosophy of the cross. And they, they're they proposing it would make a distinctively... Christian philosophy is the same thing that makes anything else Christian. The role of Christ crucified. And then they take Alvin Plantinga to task for an essay he wrote. Maybe, I mean, Alvin Plantinga might be the prominent Christian philosopher alive. I mean, right. I, I'm trying yeah. to think who it, Yeah. Maybe Maybe Walter, Nicholas Walterstorff. But for people that are sort of explicitly Christian, I mean, Plantinga has got to be up there. And, and, you know, it is was, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, kind of, there's a kind of Christian psychology movement that has modeled itself after Alvin Plantinga and some of his disciples and or colleagues in their approach to kind of Christian philosophy. So Alvin Plantinga, it, you know, plays a, the role of foil in the piece, and then they go on to sort of talk about their own constructive musings, which I think moved one towards something like the philosophy of the cross, if not fully delivering on the proposal. I mean, it's fair to say it's only 12 pages. So, i
0: right. <laughs> really... Well, you know, one of the things you might, I mean, maybe it's helpful even to define the whole task of, of a Christian philosophy. And what's the difference between a Christian philosophy and Christians doing philosophy or Christians using philosophical tools... In the service of theology. So, how, what would be the difference between I'm a I'm a Christian philosopher as opposed to a Christian theologian who's philosophically informed?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a, a Christian philosopher generally today is somebody that is is employed in the discipline, right? So, it's a subdiscipline where you know your your you know philosophy, love of wisdom, critical inquiry, right? used you're, you're, you know this sort of thing where. You're actually locating yourself in that in that discipline in the academic world okay. generally, right? So, right, so
0: that you're, you're self-identify. Identify. Yeah. Okay. You, so if you
1: self-identify as a philosopher, okay. No,
0: but but that, you know, generally, you're you're so you're you're an academic philosopher. So In other words, your office on campus is in a building that no one can find. Yeah. That doesn't have any central heating. <laughs> That's right. Norm
1: MacDonald on how, sorry, says you know. People say uh, comedians are modern day philosophers. Turns out there actually are modern day philosophers. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, right. I mean, so, you know, this is, you know, the the, the Christian philosophers generally would be, you know, people that would, that are, you know, part of a discipline of critical inquiry where you're, you know, using what human critical reflection can, you know, tell us about.
0: And so, so we would say this is this would be real philosophy. We're not talking about the whole Christian apologetics movement.
1: No, although you could be in both. I mean, I mean, you could absolutely be in both. I mean, I mean, some of the stuff is like it's interesting. Alvin Plantinga is pretty famous for something called the free will defense, which is you know some people might call it apologetics. Although it's kind of minimalist. I mean, it's I mean he he's trying to say why something like a, a he's offering one way in which holding together the idea of a of uh, of a traditional classical theist originator at the universe of the universe would hold together with evil and creatures with agency and stuff so right. but th- but there are people that are not religious that are interested in that question i mean they are, or not specifically in a religious community so you know a philosophy of religion right is a subdiscipline of philosophy kind of proper right, right. so so yeah, I mean, these would be people that are that are philosophers, and so you know they would be if they were teaching, you know, teaching classes about the Western philosophical intellectual tradition, usually.
0: Right. No, yeah. and I, and I know they're out, they're out they out there, and again, I think
1: I've so, met some of
0: them. Yeah, I, I had a beer with a few up at Princeton. So so I think there there is a sense, and particularly in in the in the Roman Catholic tradition, which has a whole, you know, that one can argue if you know is to, to you know the Thomistic, you know, is it more theology than philosophy? I you know, I think it depends on the Thomist you're, you're you're talking. But that's Neo Thomism. There's been a certainly the whole tradition of the of the Roman Catholic Church and actually certainly the early Eastern Church have a very lively tradition of being engaged and in and, and uh you know, I, I mean i I think one could argue, um now I argued this once in the paper. I'm not sure I knew enough to argue it definitively You know, one could argue that Origen could be as much the father of Neoplatonism as Plotinus. I mean, Origen is doing something creative. Origen's making a move in some of his work from the kind of eclectic Middle Platonism. And so, and there is, I mean, I know there's all kinds of problems, but they both studied under someone with the same name, Now, whether it's the same uh, Amicus Sarchius, is that who who was uh, Plotinus? I think that's how you pronounce it. At any rate, nonetheless, there have been amazing Christian theologians who have engaged in the philosophical, the you know philosophical worldviews of their time, whether it be the Neoplatonist or Aquinas. And you could say that their interaction with um, a secular or pagan philosophy, what they produced was actually a hybrid, which was something different. You know, one could, you know, the the, the most uh, fervent followers of Thomas Aquinas would say that he took Aristotle and made Aristotle better. Uh, are corrected Aristotle. So I think there's been this kind of from the beginning, um some less successful, you know, and some kind of uh like you think of some of the early apologists in the second century, they were they were pseudo philosophers, but then most of your pagan philosophers in the second century were <laughs> pseudo philosophers too. So but there's been some really con- you know some well, pagan- yeah,
1: like Anselm I mean Anselm's Perslagian, sure. you know, arguing for the existence of God, often called like the ontological argument. Like that is still taken it's probably the only proof of god's existence that's taken seriously still by contemporary philosophers
0: well you know someone like Simone Weil who you can claim in a lot of different camps but she's doing something what she's doing is is unique and creative and it's and it is it does flow from her 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 christian and quotes theism
1: yeah so there we go and i mean that would be different than say i mean i would say all theologians use philosophy to some degree or another
0: Oh, good theologians.
1: Well, and it's just even you have to, right? I mean, just because you have intellectual categories, you're yeah, absolutely walking around with. I mean, you 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 know. Now you could use it in different self conscious ways, and certain people want to use it more sparingly than others. Or or you know, you have a Tertullian kind of what has hath Athens to do with Jerusalem? where you are trying to sort of maximize the adversarial nature of that relationship, right? So, yeah. You know, but there are are you know those who would and they talk about that again in the intro of the article about different sort of ways to sort of look at if you're a Christian philosopher, like how do you think about the relationship between reason and revelation, or you know, faith and knowledge?
0: Right. Well, so in terms of help us, I mean, um, so this idea of the of a Christian philosophy based on the crucifixion, on some level, that seems to be problematic because the crucifixion is a isn't. Is well, you can say the crucifixion is a historical event, but the meaning of the crucifixion certainly is, is revelatory. So, how how does that how do you base a Christian philosophy on on the crucifixion?
1: Well, it certainly would put you over against Lessing. <laughs> like if Lessing says, you know, whatever. There's this infinite ditch, there's a ditch between the the eternal truths of reason and and the you know contingent facts of history, right? That if you're really thinking philosophically for and generally if you're you know the gold standard is something that's like true in any context right that's that's true then then generally contingent historical truths tend to be the kind of antithesis of that right because they're so particular so
0: that's strike one against the right. project strike two would be although no i think actually it
1: could be a strike in its favor in the saying that like
0: well then it's a hit or yeah right right <laughs> wow, okay it's a hit right
1: a strike in its favor <laughs> Or it could be a hit or it could be a ball or whatever. (laughs) Or it could have been hit by the pitch. I don't know.
0: Take your base. That was my best play in baseball to lean into the pitch. That was my most likely way to get on base.
1: You know, I, I think that if, if what you're, if you're arguing is that like, there's something about particularity, right. That is, you know, for instance, if, if you want to say something like Plato, I guess would want to say like that history is a problem for knowing eternal things, right. That, that, Right. That when you're out of the realm of of physicality and history, you're getting closer to eternal truths, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't change. The, the eternal realm doesn't change. So, I, what I would teach the students, I would say, you know, everybody you know, think about triangle. Think about a triangle right now, right? And I'd say, like you've never seen one though. If a triangle really is three lines, 180 degrees that add up, you've never seen three perfect lines. You've seen approximations of straight of lines and things like that, but so we have these concepts that we can't actually render with perfection, right? So Not,
0: not if you party with Pythagoras. Exactly. <laughs> that's a, and you know, when you see it, it sings, it sings Exactly. Time. It's awesome, dude. By the way, I'm just that's a shout out to the class of 78. I was just, <laughs> we did a lot of talking to Pythagoras. Devil's Triangles. Uh, 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 I wouldn't make your book on man. No, no. Could kill you. Uh, yeah, all, all, okay, curtain seniors in high school, those of you who eventually are going to be either be running for president or are on, on the Supreme Court, uh, do not do that. Right? <laughs> That's wisdom. Words from wisdom from yeah. new persuasive words.
1: But if you're kind of thinking that history is the space for, the and the particulars of it are the space for what's really revelatory, then that would, it would say, I, I would think that like a kind of, philosophy of the cross would would be more, you know, friendly to things like that. And I was thinking about Hegel for a second, but then the problem with Hegel wouldn't be the histo- the historicity. Like, Hegel thinks that, you know, human freedom, you know, the ideal is working itself out in, right. in history. But, but the way you discover it for Hegel is sort of, you know, human reason and, 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 and a kind of... I mean, Hegel... It's funny because he was critiquing Schleiermacher once, and, and Schleiermacher was, said, "You know, the essence of piety is absolute dependence." He said, "Well, if that's it, then my dog—there's no more, nothing more religious than my dog." <laughs> so, I mean, so I mean, you know, like I, I think, like I, I, so I was reading this, I was thinking of different aspects of philosophy that would, I think, work with Christ and Christ crucified, in the sense of. If what they're talking about, you know, they 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 quote Gerhard Forda here in the in the piece. And if you're thinking of theology of the cross over and against theology of glory, and sort of if the cross sort of is the thing you delight in and and it makes the wise things of the world appear foolish, and and if it sort of got if it's God's wisdom which confounds the wisdom of the world, then I would think that that you'd find co belligerence and philosophies that sort of to poked at human promethean tendencies or 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 really kind of esteemed human reason as as something that was you know like connected to realms uh, uh, you know the heavenly eternal realms so so parts of nietzsche would would seem to like be a friend there in, in, yeah. in exposing kind of worldly reason for what it often is.
0: Yeah, one of the things, your, your critique that you, that you said in one of our many non-recorded phone calls <laughs> uh, is that the their project, if it had shown some engagement with Nietzsche and then right now, if you're going to do a Christian engagement with Nietzsche, then you immediately want to talk, talk you know, you want to read Helik. Yeah, right, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then also von are. Right. Up, yeah, well, and, that's
1: the thing. I actually had some Twitter exchanges with one of the authors that said, you know, like direct messages and I, I, I screenshotted him some von Balthasar, because von Balthasar is actually, I think, doing this, in level and Love Alone is credible. I mean, he— He is creating a Christian philosophy. When he's saying that basically— or He doesn't create
0: it, but he's articulating that, it.
1: Like, all these attempts, you know, he says in the first two-thirds of the book, you know, well, there's this great quote. I have it right here. I can probably find it quickly, almost. See, this is why this is easier with regular books. He said, neither re- religious philosophy nor existence can provide the criterion for the, for the genuineness of Christianity. In philosophy, here's a great definition. In philosophy, man discovers what is humanly knowable about the depths of being. In existence, man lives out what is humanly livable. But Christianity disappears the moment it allows itself to be dissolved into a transcendental precondition of human self-understanding and living in thinking or living, knowledge or deed. Now, I think that is incredibly profound, and I, I think the authors of this piece would agree with that. That if you, that a, a, a problem with any Christian philosophy is the degree to which it sort of distills the genuineness of Christianity into something anthropological. Right. It, it 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 you know runs a you know the ship runs ashore or whatever. Right. But but I think von Balthasar then talks about the third way of love, and for him, love is yeah you know, he talks about how what you find beautiful you love and what you love you find beautiful and how ultimately the, the, at the heart of christianity is is a different kind of beauty which is the love of the crucified savior and right. so it, it's love but it's a very it's an irreducibly particular expression of that love and it, and then he goes on to explain what it tells us about the failures of of human life. we, we can't, once we know it as love we
0: realize right. we've never really loved before so I think that, and and, and they are all kind of multiple, many crucifixions in loving.
1: Absolutely, and I think there, like von yeah. Balthasar, is able to talk to to a universal human experience. Absolutely, yeah. But from a, a way that's irrevocably particular, you know, it's that you can't end around the Christ and Christ crucified there. And so I think so. This is where again I think they talk about P.T. Forsyth, a great early twentieth-century British theologian, and the piece a little bit. And I mean, I, and I think, you know, foresight is helpful to the cause, but again, I think Von Balthasar would be a, a bigger help based on what they say their goals are.
0: Or maybe Simone Ve.
1: Or Simone Weil, yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and where I'm thinking just like only love is credible, you know, maybe only affliction is universal. Right, right. So right. you could get, you could get at it from affliction or love. Yeah. I think yeah. both. Both. I mean, I think love, I think the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I agree with you on your assessment of Von Balthasar, But it seems to me that maybe a Christian philosophy, if you want to have a capital C on both of them, or if you want them to be equally informed informing each other, I think either Simone Weil or the Von Balthasar project would be, would be helpful for them.
1: But yeah, and there are probably multiple ways into this that would, that would right. touch at the cross in the crucified Savior. I mean, Frank Lake t- says some really interesting things. From a psychiatric perspective, about this, where he's speaking, you know, he says in the beginning, "The only thing I can find methodological in that thousand-page book is, I'm agnostic about the meaning of of life apart from Christ. I think he's everything, but I'll talk with anybody who studied dynamic psychology. I mean, that's (laughs) basically it's like it's like a paragraph. Some people spend hundreds of pages in a book like that, talking about that, but he just kind of. So yeah, I mean, I think that there'd be lots of ways into it, And, and it's interesting too, like. Mark Mattis wrote a really great book about Luther's theology of beauty, where he looks at sort of Luther's approach to the aesthetics. And I mean, I think there's connections there. You know that that were yeah, that would you, be interesting. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of I think like I'm intrigued by this because I think it's it's an interesting question. Like, how do you, especially as we're in an increasingly pluralistic right. cultural context, like how do you talk broadly with people who are asking deep intellectual questions and yet not Give away the store, and I mean, their their critique of Plantinga, which I agree with, is that Plantinga says, "Well, Christian philosophers are, you know, they ought not to feel they ought not to feel particularly in the dock just because they're Christians and they're part of this community, and just like feminists or Marxists or anybody else, they have the right to ask their kinds of questions and these kind of things." But then they ask, "Well, wouldn't this be true for anybody that believed in God?" Or you know, right. there's nothing particularly Christian, it seems, about his his. Commendation, you know his his advice to Christ, to Christian philosophers. It just seems like, in generally you could say it's it's advice to people who are part of particular religious communities in philosophy departments or something. There's yeah, not anything you
0: could be. You could be like, okay, I'm a philosopher that must to be a Muslim, and so I could, you know, I can practice being a Muslim without compromising my being a philosopher. Yeah. But I think what they're trying to do is is more than that. And this um, is this is also
1: for our friends from Westminster Seminary, conservative Calvinist types. This is also a criticism of of Cornelius Van Til that, like, yeah, that his presuppositional kind of approach to defending the faith is really sub-Christian. That it's not that, that, that it really is more generic than its practitioners think of. Now, again, that that may not be fair, but a lot of people think it.
0: Yeah. Well, we want to thank these authors for making us think. And, yeah,
1: absolutely. And um, may and, thinker, the thinking and uh, increase
0: and the, yeah, and the dialogue continue. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening and God bless.